0: Thank you. Uh, Thanks uh, to Stefano and uh, Clément for organizing this conference and I'm glad to be part of this panel. Perhaps I need to um, interrogate the term diasporic but you'll understand why. In a 2005 chapter published as part of the Armenians, past and present in the making of a national identity, Aram Akun argued that the period 1800 1913 constituted a turn in the shaping of a new Armenian identity away from romantic idealism if the reforming Tanzimat era 1839 1876 could originally be regarded by non-muslims in the ottoman empire as a prospect for equality especially by ottoman armenians who represented the second non-largest non-muslim community there the development of a more exclusive form of ottoman nationalism under the reign of sultan Abdul hamid ii from 1876 led a younger generation of Ottoman Armenian nationalists to rekindle the idea of an Armenian nation both within the Ottoman Empire and also from outside because some were exiled. By correlation the increasing threats against members of the Armenian community who developed such a strong nationalism made the implementation of Article 61 of the 1878 Berlin Treaty less likely. That article promised Ottoman Armenians protection against depredations from Circassians and Kurds. The 1880s thus represented a key moment for Armenian nationalism as urges for an Armenian nation sub-birth so not only in Ottoman Armenia, but also in Persia, Russia, as well as elsewhere, especially in Britain and the US. This was due to the influence of Protestant colleges in Anatolia, uh, now uh, often referred to as Protestant diplomacy. With other 1.2 million Armenians in Russia, 1,000 and a half in the US, and just over over 100 in Britain in the 1880s, the dispersal of the Armenian community throughout the world had a long history which predated the Ottoman massacres of the 1890s. Whereas the diaspora could be regarded as facilitating the formation of an Armenian national identity because it could be easier to bypass uh, Hamidian censorship from outside of the empire. Lack of consensus then over the political project as well as over strategies came to be recurrent features of -of turn-of-the-century Armenian nationalism. The development of Armenian revolutionary parties within and without the Ottoman Empire in the 1880s actually first split the community at home but also in exile. And yet as Aram Akun uh, contended within, and I'm quoting, Within each of the three empires over which Armenia spread, Persia, Russia, and the Ottoman Empire, a standard Armenian written language, schooling, books, and newspapers created a new type of unity. This was both the result of Armenian activity, but also of Western influence, as well as of intellectual exchanges between Armenian nationalists, wherever they were, and Armenophile networks. This went some way in the direction of creating sorry an imagined Armenian community, to take up Benedict Anderson's concept, an imagined community that invented a nation where there was none yet, and and an imagined community that could ideally be federative. The Armenian periodical press played a crucial role in that process, as Liza Kachaturian's 2009 pioneering study of Armenian-Russian journals published in Armenian showcased. In the 1880s, Armenian periodicals flourished in Russia, Georgia, Austria, or the United States, but also in France and Britain, where political exiles tended to settle and could meet up with other exiles, including reform-imbued young Ottomans and young Turks. Later on, young Turks, of course. Most of these periodicals were published in Armenian only, which makes Le Hayes this was the first term, <laughs> L'Armenie and La Lasse's version in English, Armenia, interesting case studies. So I'd like to devote the remaining time uh, of this paper to a brief study of these three London-based periodicals to show how they endeavored to construct a distinct Armenian national identity, perhaps more than diasporic, in a language other than Armenian from outside of Armenia, While still making sure, Armenia was mapped out as part of an imagined cosmopolitan Christian Europe, including through the choice of literary references. Le Ayazdan, meaning Armenia, this is an Armenian word for Armenia, ran as a bilingual French Armenian bimonthly between 1888 and 1892. It was the organ of the Armenian Patriotic Committee before it became that of the Anglo-Armenian Association in April 1891. The latter, which was an association formed in 1879 and which mostly gathered liberal uh, politicians, outraged by the lot of Armenian Christians, tried to revive the publication by launching the Anglo-Armenian Gazette, a journal for English-speaking Armenians and friends in 1893. Although two issues uh, of that gazette now survive at the BL and the uh, Bodleian, uh, the monthly, um, it became a monthly by then, it might have continued until 1895. By contrast, l'Armenie and Armenia, also a monthly, represent uh, an individual enterprise, that of Ottoman-Armenian Minas Cheras, who used to teach French in Constantinople before settling in London, apparently in 1889. 1889 is precisely the year in which L'Arménie Journal Politique et Littéraire, started appearing in London. An English version was first published in late 1890 until 1898, on and off though. In 1898, editor-in-chief, Minas Cheras decided to relocate its publication in Paris. It then appeared in French only until 1905. Both Le Ayazdan and L'Arménie-Arménie, which I'll consider uh, together, uh, you've now realised that uh, it was published by this edited by the same person, mentioned financial problems and sought to attract more readers, which had implications in terms of editorial strategies. I'm, I'm, I'm here going back to what you said, Valentina, with uh, adverts, but I don't have time to go into that. Uh, the first point that needs to be mentioned, perhaps before analysing similarities and divergences between the two periodicals, is the choice of London as a place of publication. The Armenian question, as the European duty to protect Armenians out of, the, out of provisions of the 1856 and 1878 treaties became known, had resonated strongly in England for some decades already. Manchester had had an Armenian, cosmopolitan, well-travelled community, engaged in anglo ottoman trade since the 1830s. Besides, Britain, as a signatory to both treaties, that of 1856 and that of 1878, was pledged to guarantee the implementation of reforms promised by successive sultans since the late 18th century to ensure equality between all subjects. Beyond this, even, British liberals had made the lot of Ottoman Christians a moral cause since the Bulgarian atrocities of the 1870s, at least, naturally felt sympathy for Armenians. The publication of the best-selling travelogue, Transcaucasia and Ararat in 1870 helped it. William E. Gladstone's young protégé, tourist James Price, who had penned the travelogue, managed to attract the attention of the white public to an otherwise little known area in distant Anatolia, especially to the plight of fellow Armenian Christians, although they were mostly Gregorians and uh, some had been converted to Catholicism and also to Protestantism. again, I don't have time to do to that. Uh, the plight of fellow Armenian Christians at the hands of Kurdish tribes who were meant to offer protection. Through the Anglo-Armenian Association uh, he formed in 1879, Bryce ensured that the lot of Ottoman Armenians remained a crusading cause for some liberals. It should thus come as no surprise that the Anglo-Armenian Association encouraged the Ahestan venture. Although the degree of interference from the association raises the question of how much leeway the Armenian editorial team had to formulate an Armenian identity of their own. But was it really the purpose? Well, the first issue of the I.S. Dan, published on the 1st of November, 1888, sets the tone. As the first line of the editorial read, and I'm quoting, this is my English translation, it sought to act as an intermediary between Armenia and Europe, between statesmen, publicists, and European bodies, in order to enlighten public opinion about the sufferings and aspirations of the poor Armenian people, and eventually win over the sympathies of the civilized world. The Stand's objectives are exclusively political as the Armenian Patriotic Committee's manifest makes clear, also to be found in the first issue. The uh, manifest uh, stated that uh, the objective was to secure the political and local autonomy of Ottoman Armenia. The project, which was also delineated in the committee's committee's charter, also in the first issue, confirms the international strategy. Article 3 is particularly interesting in that it sets out one of the ways to reach autonomy i.e. to set up an international Armenian association gathering Armenian writers as well as learned people and publicists throughout Europe who would regularly meet up in neutral cities such as Brussels and Geneva and would do their utmost to win autonomy for Armenia. Despite the reference to Armenian writers in that article, no mention of literature or even less of literary cosmopolitanism per se uh, is made ins- proper in ins- subsequent issues. So this is a, some sort of disappointment. The whole periodical, however, relies on trying to further the Ottoman-Armenian cause along the lines of Article 61 of the 1878 Berlin Treaty in some form of moral cosmopolitanism. To borrow the conceptual framework of Thomas Kogh, uh, one could say that Le Ayazdan's editorial team sought to remind Armenians throughout the world, those who sympathize with the cause, but also more largely the whole world, that all persons stand in certain moral relations to one another, and that the Ottoman Empire, as well as European powers that had signed the 1878 Treaty, France, Britain, uh, Austria, um, Italy, Russia, uh, had moral duties toward, uh, towards Armenian uh, Ottoman Armenians. Of course, I forgot the Ottoman Empire, but uh, that you get It should be no surprise then that the periodical contained drafts of political projects for an autonomous Armenia, reports on the lot of Ottoman Armenians, reviews of the international press coverage of the Armenian question and references to activities of Armenian nationalists throughout the world. The language choice is also quite telling. Whereas the text in French is immaculate, the editorial board was Armenian originally um, recurrently apologized for the poor quality of the translation in Armenian. So it was first written in English. The taking over of the IS Dan by the Anglo-Armenian uh, Association in April 1891 confirms that the targeted readership was expected to be fluent in reading French rather than Armenian. From then on, the periodical covered mostly the liberal endeavors towards securing a solution for Ottoman Armenia in keeping with the terms of Article 61. It continued publication until 1892, when it saw Ottoman pressure, dispute over physical force as a legitimate strategy, as well as financial problems, led to its swining down. The Ayasdan's rather vindictive moral cosmopolitanism split the Anglo Armenian community, with in particular the older generation of merchants established in Manchester who disapproved of it and thought the Ayasdan did more harm to the cause. That it really helped it. Rather, they insisted on the importance of protecting Armenia as the birthplace of mankind and Christianity, and begrudged that the IS Dan did not insist on this enough. The Anglo-Armenian Gazette must have taken its cue from that because it actually changed perspectives and included references to Armenian writers. Um, but I'll, I'll try to prove that point when it was done. Um, the, in the Ayazdan, it was indeed done in slight rather evanescent strokes that played upon readers' knowledge of the still commonplace view that Noah's Ark had landed on Mount Ararat, now situated in Ottoman Armenia. Notwithstanding, the whole political project of the IS Dan did revolve on the Christian identity of Ottoman Armenia. Issue after issue, it was hammered that if Europe helped her gain autonomy, then Armenia would have the flame of civilization burn again in the whole Asiatic world, as she had done in the days of Greater Armenia. By contrast, Minas Chera's publishing enterprise in L'Armenie, Armenia, precisely revolved exclusively on that idea of uh, Armenia as the birthplace of humanity and of Christianity. But Chirac did so explicitly and shrank from upholding political force as a legitimate strategy. All along, Chirac wanted to retain his complete et independence. This made him vividly critical of Le Hayes which he thought had become an organ in the service of the British Liberal Party. Although Chirac wanted to remain above politics, flicking through issues of l'Arménie showed that both publications relied on the same supporters, with big names in Britain, former Liberal Prime Minister William E. Gladstone in the lead. L'Armenia and Armenia are interesting publication ventures, and although they do not tell exactly the same story, both sought to map out the lineage between European civilization and Armenian history. Chera's insistence on the acknowledged importance of the Armenian language and culture by philologists and politicians throughout Europe precisely serves that purpose. Although, up to issue 17, no use of Armenian was made in their pages. And yet, previous issues had already tried to infuse readers with a better knowledge of Armenian literature, in particular poetry and folklore. Cheras, who occupied the chair of Armenian at King's College London from 1891, could then pursue the objective in Britain through conferences, especially at the Royal Asiatic Society. The promotion of Armenian culture as of paramount importance to Europe's Christian history was to bring it home that the European concert could not let down Armenia. British politicians, some of whom like Gladstone or Bryce, who had already shown sympathy for the Armenian cause, were directly solicited. Well, from early 1891, Cheres decided to celebrate major contemporary Armenian poets then unknown uh, to uh, people outside of Armenia and outside of Armenian menified circles. Um, he also inserted poems by specifically written for the review. The first poem in that series, an Ode by Russian-born contemporary Armenian poet Raphael Pepkanian, was thus entitled to Gladstone and appeared in Armenian with a Translation in English and French by Cheras. Issues that followed include Armenian tales published as the unpublished E-series. Treyras constantly sought to make rapprochement between Armenian and European literature, for instance presenting one of these tales in the, as the Armenian Cinderella. In doing so, Triras was not just passing on traditions to a readership whom they might be unfamiliar with Armenian culture, but rather he intended to show that despite the Asiatic location of Armenia, Armenians belonged in the wider world. The statement, passed by historian Joe Laycock in her 2009 Hi- Imagining Armenia, also perfectly applies to Cheras' paper published in 1896 on Homer and the Armenians, in which the latter argued that Armenians were Greeks, including in manners. From this, people at the time would have deduced that Armenians were Indo-Europeans and thus shared linguistic, if not ethnological origins with Europeans, especially the British. This point was only hinted at by scholars whom Cheraz presented as Armenologists, especially Friedrich Max Müller and Angelo de Gubernatis, whereas Armenian was only one element in their comparative philology. To quote again from Laycock, the Indo-European connection thus strengthened the claim that Armenia was culturally, if not territorially, part of Europe. A claim, she insists, fully exploited in Armenophile and diaspora propaganda. It is such a connection which had racial overtones that allowed Cheraz to draw the following comparison in the issue published on the 1st of January, 1893. I quote, the British and the Armenians are the most prolific races in the world. Armenia was presented as Eden on the 1st of May 1895, just after the first wave of massacres in the previous autumn. The statement, which strongly resonated with Bryce's 1878 travelogue statement that Armenia, I quote, was the cradle of the human race, was mostly a plea to British politicians to take action and prevent furtherance fervor, fervor, of atrocities. As a former delegate for Armenia at the 1878 Berlin Congress, Cheras had always placed high hopes that his stance would help him foster the Armenian cause with the British government. Britain's powerlessness in the European diplomatic game left Cheras bitter. A close study of Armenia, the English version of the periodical, betrays how Cheras eventually felt disappointed with British liberals and Tories alike. Struggly, first, and then more neatly when it became clear that the Conservative Premier Salisbury uh, failed to move the concert in favour of Armenia after the 1895 and 1896 massacres, reports about discussions of the Armenian question within the British Parliament eventually give way in the pages of the periodical to uh, a sharper focus on the French scene. The disappointment explains why Cheras relocated the paper to Paris in 1898, but then the paper only appeared in French. Um, just to conclude, um, oh, sorry, I just want to say that it appeared in French as the lingua franca were being identified as the diplomatic and universal language by excellence, Cheras targeted readership became more neatly uh, those who sympathize with within Armenian cause uh, throughout the world. And this uh, assumed that the Armenians uh, in the diaspora would speak French uh, just as the Ottoman Armenian intelligentsia. Mm-hmm. Uh, to conclude uh, then, this study of British Armenian periodicals sketches contrasting strategies on the part of the editorial board of Layazdan and of Cheras uh, for armenia over how to make uh, their homeland Armenia uh, fully European, indissociably connected with European Europe's origins and thus familiar. Ch- to do so Cheras engaged with literary cosmopolitanism as well as moral cosmopolitanism which Ayazdan mostly confined its rhetoric to. However imperfect, possibly inquit, in their expressions of an ideal Armenian national, rather than perhaps of a diasporic local identity, um, both periodicals um, engaged with cosmopolitanism in a constructionist perspective rather than just conjuring up the uh, figure of the elite uh, uh, foreigner uh, being familiar uh, outside of this country. Um, Even more so, they paved the way for the creation of a supra-European identity. I don't have time to develop, but I do believe in this. but perhaps in spite of their uh, being odd, odd fellows, the combination of nationalism and cosmopolitanism here in such context, in such a context, in such a constructionist perspective for these periodicals was uh, a, if not the only loophole for Armenian nationalists who sought to act for the re, uh, recreation of their nation uh, without going the full way to terrorism, which was uh, another solution used by uh, revolution groups.